Welcome back to Across Our Overse. Steve here, episode 166. Jimmy, a little bit under the weather, so I had to, to hustle for a last-minute replacement. And uh, Nick Diani of the Kicks Picks podcast is here with us to give his take. Not a Romanista, but sometimes good to get an outside perspective. Follower of the league is a Laziale, as many of you know from his, his previous collaborations with us. But he will give us his honest take on the squad. So, Nick, welcome to the show. Great to have you back again. Yeah, I appreciate it, brother. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so full disclosure, Nick and I, neither of us got to see the full match today because it was a, an app, like a lunchtime kickoff here in the East Coast of the United States. I caught about a half hour of the first half, Nick about the same. So we are going to talk a little more generally about the match than specifics, but we will talk about some big performances by certain players. Um, and then we will get into to the, the league as a whole and then a little bit about the Europa League, which happened on Thursday and the draw, which happened on Friday. So, uh, Nick, De Rossi so far. He came in with four wins out of five in the league. Um, this was probably his second toughest matchup of, of his tenure so far in terms of league matches with Torino. Torino's been hanging around the, the top half, even before they lost to your Lazio last week, midweek, pushing into those like Euro- European spots they were threatening. So not an easy one. They don't concede a lot. And Roma came out and surprised a lot of us. I know me, my, myself especially. I do the problem formations for the website. I had the the, the you know... 4-3-3, which he's been working with. Everything I saw around the peninsula had the 4-3-3 public, you know, in the publications predicting that it would be, this, you know, much of the same with some changes to personnel after Thursday's match. Uh, and he came out with the 3-5-2, the old Mourinho look, and uh, surprised us. And, and he was asked if uh, how that came to be in his post-match press conference. And he said it was born before this whole little spy issue. I don't know if you saw that. There was a Torino mm-hmm. kind of peeping a little bit on the Roma, Roma training. He said it was born before that. He didn't change it up just because of that. He said if they saw it, they knew it. I have to make choices before the match, then see if they were right. I wanted Smalling to play at all costs because I saw him doing well. Trino is a very physical team, and it gave me more peace of mind to put him between the two who covered his flanks, which were Mancini and Indica in this case. Um, then it was a conservative and defensive choice. I imagine we could have suffered because Torino's fitness and pressing ability. Starting more cautiously after the efforts in the cup could have kept the match more lively to resolve in the second half in which we came into the match. Um I mean, I guess his quote there ended up being pretty spot on in terms of how it played out. I guess he he figured fatigue would be an issue here. Uh, change it up with the three center backs. And, it, you know, for, for the most part, it worked out in, in the end with the three points. Yeah, listen, what <laughs> what negative thing can you say at this point? Um, through what, five games? That Rossi has shown a couple of things Mourinho, I think, failed to show. That's adaptability. I think the the lack of stubbornness, I mean... You know, at this point, he's probably playing with a little bit of house money, right? He's he has the goodwill of the fans; he always will. Um, but you know, he's got nothing to lose. He, he had a previous coaching stint that maybe didn't go the way he wanted it to, but this this is a fresh start, and um, you know, he, he has nothing to lose. So why not try to express yourself a little bit with what you have? So I, I think what's impressed me the most is his adaptability, right? You, you mentioned the formation that being a big part of it. Yeah, I don't think we'd see Mourinho do that, especially an hour before the match or a few hours before the match. And I think the other thing that really stands out is he's getting just about everybody he has available into the games. Um, you know, like he's using all his subs. Um, he's he's trying different formations. He's playing people who haven't played since uh, maybe the start of the year. Yeah, so I think October, uh, so a small and probably. You know, so that that to me is maybe the most. I don't know if it's the most impressive, but it's it's something he should be getting credit for that I don't know that he is getting the credit for it yet. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, Roma playing the 4-3-3, that was a, a big change from Mourinho's style, right? They didn't they played the four-man back line very rarely, mostly in, you know, in the in the run of play, they would change it up when they needed goals or whatever. Um, and he came implemented that without a full preseason, obviously, right? Just a, a very short turnaround and then, you know, had a couple weeks of training, a couple midweeks then mixed in, just you know, three, four weeks into his stint. So very little training time and then reverts back to the Mourinho you know, way of doing things with a 3-5-2, which we've seen in this roster, as he mentioned, one of his other quotes is built for a three-man back line. Now there's five five fit center backs available with the return of Small and the return of Indica from the AFCON. So he's got plenty of players to do that. And I, I like his his mindset here. Not that they were playing conservative just because they figured, you know, let's play it a little more conservatively overall, but let's start conservatively, save a little bit of legs maybe in the beginning, you know, feel out Torino who can press really well and is definitely going to have more energy after, you know, Torino had more than a week off with a Monday match here, and Roma's coming off 120 minutes and penalty kicks, which um, I was a little surprised that he played the same three-man midfield of Cristante, Pellegrini, and Paredes in this one. I almost thought Bove would get a start just to maybe spell Cristante or possibly Pellegrini, and, and he stuck with that three-man midfield, and, um, you know, it, it takes a little bit of, of guts, too, I think, to play guys who played so many minutes and, and, and such a quick turnaround. Yeah, hey, listen, I, th- I think it's more so about setting the tone, and he did that. And then the one guy you mentioned that uh, I have to um, give him a little bit of credit because I was never high on him. I was never a big fan. That's Paredes. He's been really good, I feel like, for this year uh, for Roma. And, um, man, over the past couple of weeks, like we've seen him from the, the penalty spot. Like, man's got ice in his veins. So, um, yeah, I-, I think it was exactly what probably the doctor ordered for this game, at least the start of this game, set the tone, um, show that they weren't going to be pushed around. I think they've obviously showed that since he took over. But as you mentioned, the the quality of the opposition here on the tougher side compared to the Salernitanas, Cagliari's, you know, um, Prosinones of the world. So um, trying to probably instill a little bit of his mentality in there. And if these guys were up for the task to come in after 120 minutes a few days ago and get the start and not complain and give everything they have, that, that kind of sets the example for the rest of the team. So seems to be like it worked. Yeah, I like the shout on Paredes. Today he completed all but one of his passes. I think I just saw 46 of 47, oh. um, 98% in his 65 minutes played. Only two long balls, but those were both accurate as well. You know, plays that kind of metronome uh, regista in the middle of the park. And and he's been exactly what De Rossi needs for this style of play. Fits this De Rossi style in the 4-3-3 a lot better than, I think, the Mourinho style, even though he did do well under Mourinho as well. Um, you're right. He wasn't a player I was super high on when Roma brought him back, but he's been impressive. You mentioned the two penalty kicks in the last week, ice in his veins. Uh, very comical and collected. He even took it ahead of Pellegrini last week in uh, the weekend match in, in the league when Dybala and Bukaku were both off the pitch. So uh, he's definitely risen up the hierarchy there. He's taking some, some of the corner kicks that Pellegrini would have normally taken last season. And that's no knock on Pellegrini because we've seen the form he's been in in the last month or so under De Rossi. So really the midfield has been uh, exceptional under De Rossi so far. Um, you know, I'm not saying just in this one, like I mentioned, I didn't get to watch this, you know, as closely as I would have liked to, to really pick apart player performances. But um, the midfield under De Rossi in general has been very good as you gave that Paredes shout. First half, not a whole lot from from Roma. This is where you got to see some of the match. I got to see quite a bit of the first half as well. They did get the penalty kick from Dybala. That was a, a clear penalty on Azmoon. Uh, he got kind of whacked in the ankle um, by the substitute. Um, trying to remember his name here, just pulling it up. Uh, Stazanov uh, came in for Lovato, who got hurt just about 15 minutes in, and that turned out to be a big injury because 
to substitute Sabasazanov, got the, the penalty on Osmoon, um, put Rome up. That was, aside from the Christensen hit the post early on, aside from that, that was Rome's really only chance. And who else but Dybala buries it in the 42nd minute. And there was a quick, quick Torino uh, answer in the 44th minute. Two minutes later, Raul Bellanova, beautiful cross. Zapata got between a couple of Roma defenders, headed it in a way that with the wet turf kind of skidded away from Sevillar. At first, Sevillar looked a little slow off his line, but on second watch, it, it was a pretty good header. I mean, you could fall Sevillar, I think, a little bit, but I, I think overall, a pretty good header, and, and I don't think many goalies probably make that save. I don't think Patricio makes that save. Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I saw some tweets uh, at halftime of people saying, like, if you think that we'd be in this with Patricio playing, you're out of your mind, we would have given up three instead of one, but uh, yeah, I don't think obviously Patricia makes that save either. Yeah, the, listen, I, I think you nailed it. The first forty minutes, pretty uninspiring, outside of maybe one good chance for Roma. Um, I thought Torino looked better; they looked a little bit hungrier. But I feel like all their chances were kind of half chances. Uh, you yeah. know, the, Roma really didn't give up anything too too dangerous, too too threatening. Um, and they made the adjustments, right? I, I mean, going into half with a goal, I, I think, was huge for them. Um, you mentioned, right, they did give it up right away, uh, give it back. But, you know, first half was like a, an eventful, uneventful half. It was like a little bit of ping pong, I almost feel like. It was a little, um wasn't fluid, I guess the words I'm looking for. And maybe the weather had something to do with that. Yeah, I think a little bit of weather, probably a little bit too of playing Thursday night. A lot of the guys that were on the pitch did play Thursday night as well uh, and played a good good chunk of it, if not the whole match. Uh, and I think that also has something to do with the slow start. You know, one of the players who had the best chance was Christensen, who didn't play on Thursday night. So he had those fresh legs to get in behind the defense and hit the woodwork. Um, you know, Roma under Mourinho hit the woodwork a lot, and that trend continues a little bit here in this one. Um, and De Rossi was asked about the first half in, in his um, – Press conference, you know, post match comments. And he said, There was a lack of play in our back half, but we lacked the deep attack in the first half. Man to man, when they come after you, your backside is difficult. You have to go behind them like Christensen's post. We had an extra man in defense at the beginning. Then I'm, I changed things up. We suffered a bit. We lost too many balls. The quality of the player makes you win and lose matches or championships, the most important thing. But if it was important, everything else um, wouldn't we see with Bologna in fourth place who have good players or Kievo from years ago? So basically, he said, You know, it doesn't matter. In terms of players all the time, sometimes, you know, the, the the other team just wants it. Torino came at him, made things difficult. And I think, like you said, you know, the, the weather had a lot to do, a little bit to do with it. I think a little bit, you know, fatigue. Um, but second half, things changed. And, and it was really the magic man, Paul Dybala, that made all the difference. I mean, his his goal in the 50, I think it was uh, seventh minute, just a lovely, lovely hit from, from pretty far outside the box. Curled it around uh, Milikovic-Savic. <laughs> I think he was surprised that Dybala took that shot and yep, then yep. He, he he played it perfectly. I mean, I don't think anybody's saving that, not even prime Gigi Buffon saving that one. No, I think you what you said was like my exact reaction. It was just so stunned that he hit that ball that I think that led to maybe that half second. Like, you know, I agree. I don't know that it's getting saved, but um, it, it looked like a delayed reaction just out of yeah. pure shock, <laughs> especially if you see that that head-on angle of um, DePaul hitting it. Yeah, I think it comes a little bit from behind a body or two where he doesn't expect him to shoot. So he's already not probably expecting him to shoot it from that far out. And then when it comes out from behind those bodies, the, the, the reaction time is just not there and placed it low and into the, if DePaul is facing that, his left curled it 
out to the outside there. And it was just a lovely, lovely goal. Um, it's just the kind of thing that Paulo Dybala brings to the table. And, uh, you know, you saw the celebration with De Rossi after the goal. Uh, very, very good stuff. I mean, the offense under Daniela De Rossi has been clicking. That is something that, you know, they had their matches under Mourinho where they, you know, put up seven against Empoli. And then they had a couple decent matches. But from a week to week basis, the offense really is clicking a lot more under De Rossi here. Dybala did it again. Lukaku came off the bench and helped set up his third goal hat trick for uh, Dybala. They played a little one-two. Uh, Dybala beat Milinkovic-Savic from a pretty tight angle all, as well, which was uh, pretty impressive. I don't know. If, and Mil- Milinkovic-Savic looked a little upset with himself after kicking yeah, the rough game. He thought he should have saved it. Um, but, you know, big-time players step up in big-time moments and, and, and win matches for you. You know, from a Roma standpoint, we saw it Toti plenty of times. Dybala is that same type of player. Uh, and and proved why he's so important to the side tonight. Yeah, listen, I, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because I know what we're about to talk about. But um, you know, you kind of mentioned it here. It, it team getting healthy is a big thing, and I, I don't want to repeat myself either. But just playing a little bit freer, you know, having a little bit less expectation, um, and and being in there with a guy who you know, played pretty recently. I'm not taking anything away from Mourinho's career or his accomplishments, but different voice uh, and maybe a more relatable voice, right? Somebody who's been in the locker room on that side, not all that long ago, I think um, is probably helping out just a little bit. And, you know, that couldn't have been better timing, whether it was, you know, Mourinho's decision, the team's decision, a little bit of both. Uh, I, I think they set De Rossi up with a, chance to succeed where we've seen coaching changes and you know for other teams in Serie A we've seen coaching changes in other leagues maybe they haven't been set up in the the same way with the same opportunity so I I think it's just kind of one of those everything clicked and um, you know we've seen it over the past five or six games but you kind of saw it all happen in this game right you saw the transition of a, a team that kind of had to weather the storm a little bit weather the elements um, you know, it didn't come as easily maybe as it has in four, three or four of the other matches, but the evolution was like pretty clear to see. And and like you said, sometimes it takes, you know, a world-class player to, to produce something. And that was the difference in the game. Yeah, it really was because those three goals were almost only three shots on target in the match. You know, they had the, the one off the post, but that doesn't count as a shot on target in the end. And that's what it was. It was, it was three Dybala shots all into the back of the net and, Roma got a little scared at the end. There was an own goal. It ended up going down as a, an own goal by Housen uh, after he came out for Smalling uh, late in the match. 3-2. Roma ends up winning 3-2. Um, you know, Pat, Patrick Hendrick, the announcer, made a great point. I, I, I caught the last couple minutes of the match, like, literally, is like, stoppage time. And, you know, he said from a Torino standpoint, like, they're a team that doesn't concede much. And usually if they score two goals, they're finding themselves on on the right end of the, the score line. And for them to to finally get multiple multiple goals because they win a lot of matches 1-0, kind of mm-hmm. things like that. It has to be frustrating for Juric and company because they gave up three to this Roma side, and usually two for them is good enough, and it, it wasn't good enough tonight. No, it's so funny you say that. I, I mean, to talk about Torino for a second, they are like literally the middle-of-the-table team in, in every way possible, right? They're in 10th place, nine wins, nine draws, eight losses, so they're pretty much like 500 across the board. 25 scored, 25 conceded. Like, this is Torino. You you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? They haven't given much up. Um, You know, you and I have talked about it. I I think this was kind of the period of the season where 
they probably come back down to earth and maybe solidify themselves in this 10th, 11th, 12th place because that's who I think they are. But certainly it's a team that Roma should be. It's a team that Roma will want to be. It's a team Roma struggled to be over the past couple of years. And, um, you know, I've seen that myself with Lazio. It's the same situation. So the fact that you get all three points in a game where you can argue maybe it wasn't deserved or maybe on a different day you wouldn't have taken all three, that's a huge step in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. I'd be really happy if I were a Roma fan. Yeah, I'm very, very content scoring three goals against Torino. Obviously, the second goal kind of makes it uh, a little less impressive on the scoreline because ha- uh, the, the house in own goal. But when you score three on a club like Torino that can defend it well, like you said, 25 conceded at this point of the season is is just about a goal a match. So to get three on them is very impressive. Uh, and it, it's been impressive week after week under De Rossi. You know, the, like we said, the, you know, the, the offense has been clicking. He even gets injured two goals. So... Um, you know, De Rossi, he, he was asked if he, you know, they, they noticed he was calmer in the second half of the matches. He's starting to trust the team. And he said, I have a lot of trust. Sometimes I'm more nervous. I put on my coat because I wasn't feeling well after Inter. Sometimes you have to spit out a bit of, of healthy joy. Everything here is important to me. On Mondays at 6 p.m., we had 60,000 fans in a sold-out match. Um, we are followed as when we were second in the standings years ago. We must still respect this trend that's been there for a few years in terms of fans turning out. Uh, it means there's a great love and we must not be outdone. I'm calm because we have strong players. They're good guys, serious. They give a good performance. Then every match can be won or lost. I was tense at the first one. As I go on, it seems like something I've been doing for a long time. So he's just, he's expressing, you know, that he's getting that comfort level. And also I think it's important to to point out, he has repeatedly pointed out the qualities of his players. And not that Mourinho, I think, wanted to hurt the confidence of his players, but often as as like an alibi for some of the losses, especially as they started to, to pile up and there were injuries and, and obviously things like that, that De Rossi's not dealing with as much in the moment because they have most of the squad back healthy. But, you know, he would say, we're not as, you know, we're not as good as, as this team. We're not as good as that team. They have two starters for a position. We don't. And De Rossi is seemingly more building up his squad. And, and obviously when you're winning, it's easier to do that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that, that, like you said, the different voice change in tone and, and, mm-hmm. and that more relatability, I think it's done wonders for Pellegrini, uh, at, for one, he's the one that really stands out, but I think overall it just helps lift up so many guys that maybe, um, were feeling down under Mourinho. I mean, Smalling, it, it turned into all of a sudden he's healthy again. Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with the voice that they're hearing in, yeah. in the locker room. No, you make a good point. And listen, I, I think Mourinho uses that or used that as you know, tactically, right? I don't think he yeah. seriously believed these players are bad, or I'm sure he had right. good, you know good enough relationships with them. But you know, hearing that from Mourinho should motivate, or at least in his mind, probably should have been motivation that these players needed. Um, I, I don't think that 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 you know these footballers are built the same way th- this day and age that they were ten years ago, twenty years yeah. ago, right? When Mourinho was winning fucking Champions Leagues and, and winning trebles and shit. Um, you know, I don't know that it's the same game, right? So I think um, I'm seeing kind of the same thing with Lazio, right? Sadi today, even, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to take over your Roma podcast here, but, you know, Sadi today is coming out and saying like, oh, you know, in the market, I want a player A, but I was forced to get to choose between players C and D. You know, that's all well and good, but you, you can that see clearly C this point, on your team, right? right? Your, your yeah. team is not responding to that. And I think that's kind of what Mourinho was up against. Like you could try that. It might work in year one. It might work a little bit in year two, man. 
year three, um, you could see it clearly wasn't working. This team was stuck in the middle of the table, just like, you know, Napoli, just like Lazio, just like Fiorentina. They're kind of all in that same boat. And now that that switch up, you know, giving players confidence, probably, you know, privately, but also publicly. So far, so good. I, I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you make a great point. It's it's that siege mentality that a, a manager like Mourinho has, right? It worked at the beginning, us against the world, and then I think it starts to wear on some of these, these more modern players with a different mentality than we've seen with the, like those old Inter teams or like those old Real Madrid teams, right? When yep. he was winning, and the, and the the mindset of the game as a whole has changed, and I think that's a great point. Um, you know, they've changed the play style. I'm sure this is a little bit more fun for a lot of these players to play as well, being able to play a little more attacking brand of football, right? I mean, that defensive three, five, two worked wonders in Europe. Uh, I will, will never fault Mourinho for doing that in, in those two European runs he made, because guess what? He won a trophy and nearly won a second. Uh, had it not been for a, a non-penalty call by Anthony Taylor last year, Roma probably has two trophies and they're in the champions league this year um, because of the way Mourinho approached Europe, but in the league against some of these smaller sides, is when it would wear on you a bit. And it'd be like, you know, we're watching this this drab match against like yep. Prozone or Cagliari, a match that Roma should be flying in like they did with uh, De Rossi so far in some of these matches where they, they beat Cagliari 4-0, they beat Frozenone 3-0, they put up three on a very tough defensive Torino side. I mean, going through De Rossi's results so far, I mean, beat Verona 2-1, beat Salernitana 2-1, beat Cagliari 4-0. The only loss was to Inter, but still scored twice in a 4-2 yep. loss. Uh, two one one draws against Feyenoord, which they took them to penalty kicks, obviously, and they they won there. We'll talk about that shortly. Three nothing against Frozenone, three two against Torino. So multiple goals in every league match so far. The only matches they haven't scored multiple goals were in the two Feyenoord matches. So yeah. it just kind of shows that that shift in mentality, what they're trying to do. Uh, I know Derosi probably doesn't have the, the squad to the point where he wants them to be able to do it to its fullest in terms of pressing and and counter pressing and things like that. But the the fruits are starting to. To, to, to show a little bit in the way that he's setting this this side up. Can I shout out my boy El Shadawi? Because you like long time personal favorite. Um I, th- I think he was solid under Mourinho, but getting some starts, uh, it's just great yeah. to see. I'm happy for him. Personally happy for him. Yeah, he was the one sacrificed today in terms of switching to the the three five two instead of playing the four three three. But he has been he has been great under his old teammate. Uh, been very impressive. Uh, definitely a more prominent role. And and like you said, you know, De Rossi's getting everybody involved as much as he can. Mm-hmm. He made five subs today. He's been making five subs in those matches. Uh, Renato Sanchez got on the pitch for the last 10 minutes or so. Hasn't been available too much. You know, he, he's working players like that in. Uh, all the right backs have been getting love, even with three of them. So uh, good to see Awar had a, had a big impact on Thursday. So he's starting to... He's got the depth now that Mourinho wasn't always at the luxury of having because of injuries. He's starting to, to be able to utilize it better because he does have it, and he's doing a pretty good job of it, I, I think, at this point, too, uh, like you mentioned earlier. So quick check-in on the table. Uh, important here. Inter obviously running away with things right now, 66 points. We don't even have to talk about them. It, really, from a Roma standpoint, Juve and Milan out, out of reach probably at 57 to 53 points. But then it's starting to really tighten up in terms of Places four through, I guess you could say eight or so now. Um, fourth place is obviously that golden ticket to the Champions League. Potentially fifth as well if the Italian teams can continue performing well in Europe like they have so far with the new Champions League rules. But right now, fourth place, Bologna, 26 matches played, 48 points. Atalanta, 25 matches played, 46 points. Roma, 26 matches, 44 points. Uh, Fiorentina, who beat Lazio head-to-head today on 41 and Lazio on 40. 
Uh, also, both with 26 matches played in Anopoly, way down in ninth on 37 points after another uh, dropped result for them this past weekend. So Adelanta dropped two points against Milan. Napoli, Lazio dropped points as well. Uh, things improving for Roma. That makeup match for Adelanta finally comes this week, and it's against Inter. Uh, so Inter is really Roma's best friend this week because they play uh, the Atalanta makeup match midweek and then they have Bologna next weekend. So they could do Roma some big favors. But overall, Nick, I mean, when I mean when Derossi was hired, they're down eighth place, I believe, and and definitely not within a four point reach of fourth place side in this case Bologna. I mean, what do you make of the table at this point? Now I know there's those uh, makeup matches to be played, which kind of throw things off a little bit, but uh, table shifting a bit. Yeah, I would have said at the time of hire, realistically, sixth or seventh would have been great. Um, you know, I don't know what expectations were put on him or if anything has been officially communicated, but, uh, you know, I, I thought that was reasonable, right? Seventh place. Um, but now it, it starts to look a little bit different, right? But we've seen the same thing that we've seen for three years, four years, and what we've seen all of this year, inconsistency from everybody, yeah. from everybody fourth place down, um, you know. I think Napoli and Lazio are the worst off of all these teams. I think we can put Fiorentina in that category. I mean, they they handily outplayed Lazio today, but they're, you know, th- those three teams are kind of shells of their former selves. Um, Bologna, listen, I've been a uh, on the bandwagon for. I probably started the bandwagon on Bologna. Just you know, a fun, entertaining team to watch. No, I didn't have any expectations on them this season. They're fourth place they've rattled off what five straight wins yeah, uh my big criticism of them was they didn't score enough i still don't believe they score enough but their defense has been outstanding they seem to be getting every timely goal you can ask for they're not scared by any match i don't know that they're able to hang on to that fourth place but i think they got to be a shoe in for sixth or seventh um so for me you know Atalanta is the big question mark another team that's really really streaky i think they have a, a good squalid a good solid squad, you know, as constructed. I think obviously Gasparini has been super consistent in doing it for a long time. Um, for me, it's going to come down to them or Roma. And I'll kind of say the same thing that I've said the last few times I was on this podcast. I think it's finally coming true. Roma to me still seems to have the most runway of any of these teams. I think they're the deepest. I think they have the most individual talent. Um, if they can stay healthy, if you can start getting some contributions out of Lukaku, if um, this you know goalkeeper continues to play better than Patricio, it, to me, um, th- they now seem to have the belief. And they've done something over the past five games that none of those other teams we mentioned consistently do. And that's beat the bottom half of the table. That's beat the bottom five sides in the league. So wins over Salernitana, Cagliari, uh, Frosinone, Torino, you know, they don't sound that good when you say them out loud, but I've seen Lazio, Napoli, Fiorentina, Atalanta, Bologna, whoever. I've seen every one of those teams lose to them, lose to them year in and year out. So the fact that Roma made this change can make, um, you know, the start of this second half of the, the campaign, you know, started off with those wins. I think expectations are a lot different now. I, I, I don't know if, fourth place is realistic or not, but you guys are certainly in the conversation. Yeah. I think you make some great points there. And I like that you, you mentioned that runway. If, if Roma's healthy, they do have the deeper squad. I think of the ones that are, that are mentioned, and especially when Napoli's faded so quickly and, and Lazio is struggling and, and Fiorentina is so up and down. Um, 
you know, we mentioned that the midweek, you know, makeup match this week, Atalanta, Inter, you know, if Atalanta drops those points, Roma's only two behind with the same matches played. Even if they get a point out of it, Roma's still within three points and, and the same matches played. Um, you know, it's going to be tough for Atalanta to beat them. Nobody really beats Inter. So as, as Romanisti will be hoping that trend continues. Uh, on the weekend, I made a mistake. Atalanta Bologna is actually head to head this weekend, and then Atalanta, um, or rather Bologna Inter, is the, the following weekend. So both Atalanta and Bologna, a big, big stretch coming up where somebody's gonna have to drop points on the weekend. Uh, maybe both drop points to Inter, possibly. That that's you know plays into Roma's hands. But this weekend, if you look at the schedule, just to do a little quick look ahead before we move on to the Europa League, Lazio plays Milan head to head on Friday. Um, Atalanta plays Bologna head to head, which is the huge one in terms of Roma directly on the table too. Napoli plays Juve head to head. So like there's chances that some of these clubs that are either right behind Roma or right ahead of Roma are going to drop points. And if Roma can take care of business at Monza and, and follow this trend they've been on, um, it could be another good weekend on the table for them. Even Torino Fiorentina, that's not gonna be an easy match for Fiorentina. So this is one of those weekends where Roma's going to have to do their take care of their business, and and some somebody somewhere will be dropping points, and they could make up a little ground, um, because then it's uh, next weekend. Like I said, Bologna, Inter, Juve, Atalanta. Like this is the part of the schedule where, where Roma can can make up some ground. They have Fiorentina head to head, so be an interesting couple weeks for Roma. Obviously, after that, then then Europa League wraps back around. So, um, and one quick thing to add, I did see in the De Rossi press conference pre match that. Under Jose Mourinho last season, every time Roma advanced in Europa League, they did not win the following league match. So this this breaks a, a bad trend that they had going last season, which really cost them any shot at the top four. So uh, any closing thoughts on Serie A, Nick? And then we'll, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back for the uh, Europa League talk. Yeah, I'm not wishing you guys any luck, but I, I think as every year, it's going to be super interesting down the stretch. And, um, you know, the team that... Obviously, there's going to be some head-to-heads, which are important, but teams, I, I truly always believe the teams that take care of the lower yep. competition, that's going to be the team that's standing in fourth place at the end of the season. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, Roma's been doing that so far. They're going to have to continue in the next couple, couple weeks. So take a quick ad break here, and then we'll be back to talk a little Europa League before we wrap up. All right, so Feyenoord, uh, newfound rivals for Roma now after the – Three straight seasons playing directly head-to-head in knockout competition and, and always in the knockout stages. Uh, and it's Roma besting the Dutch side for the third straight year. We won't talk too, in too detail about the matches because it was a few days ago now. But just to, to talk overall about the, the tie, the way Roma approached I mean, new manager, uh, De Rossi, first time managing European competition. I, I thought he he did a very good job against Slot, who obviously is very experienced now after you know managing head-to-head against Marina the last couple of years. I thought Roma did. Um, very well. Obviously, when they went to penalty kicks, you get a little nervous after what happened last season because I thought Roma outplayed Feyenoord overall and should have had more goals in, in, in the first half of the second leg at home. Uh, but they survived and they advanced, and and the, the good run continues. I think it was uh, now the 10th straight season, I think I saw, uh, only Italian side to be in the final 16 of European competition over the last decade, which is very impressive. Cool. Yeah, listen, the other thing, I, I mean, as a just a Serie A fan in general that I want to make clear, like Feyenoord's a good squad. This yeah. is a team that won the Dutch league last year. Um, they've been in Europa league, conference league, champions league. I-, I can't remember the last time they weren't in one of these competitions, right? You see this name pop up in the second round of European competitions in finals of European competitions, semifinals, quarterfinals. I mean, they are there year after year after year. They score an absolute ton. They are in the race again this year for the Dutch league. They're a really good squad. 
Um, so it, it sh- you know, there should be credit here um, for the way Roma performed. They only gave up two goals over what two hundred minutes of football. I mean, that's yeah, what is it? Two hundred ten minutes it come, that comes that's out to pretty damn impressive. So um, good for Roma, good for the league, um, and that's you know one of the favorites of the competition is now out. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was very impressive. I mean, the first half they they gave up the first goal at home too, which which hurt uh, to Jimenez. And it was it was a wonky bounce, hit him in the, the shoulder. It was close to being a handball, went in, uh, and that was when Roma, you know, obviously only five minutes, but Roma was the aggressor for those first five, and they kind of got uh, that unlucky bounce. And then the, if you look at the attacking momentum, like Sopa scored as the the graph that goes up and down based on the attacking momentum. I mean, Roma was the top side being the home side, and most of the bars are going up throughout the the ninety minutes, and then. Uh, for most of the second period of extra time, Feyenoord had most of their little bit of blips of, of attack in the first part of the extra time. I mean, it was a lot of Roma. Uh, they played very well. Could have had a couple other chances. I thought that, you know, they they didn't do their best. I mean, they had 11 total shots in the first half, only two on target. One of them was Pellegrini's lovely goal. That was a nice goal, too. I mean, we talked about mm-hmm. Pellegrini earlier. This was a match where he stepped up as the captain and, and really played well again. Um, and I think you mentioned it. Look, this is a final side that's quality. They're in they're in Europe and they're facing Roma in the, the finals of the Conference League. I think it was the quarterfinals of the Europa League last year. They dropped down from Champions League this year for a reason because they've been they've been a good side. They qualified for Champions League out of Holland this year again um, ahead of Ajax, who who was in the Europa League. So um, uh, it, it's become a very unfriendly rivalry over the last three years. I know there was there were some incidents a few years ago too when uh, their fans made a mess of Rome um, in European competition. They also played Lazio recently too, last year, right? In the, in the group stage. This, so year, they, this year, they're in the group stage of the Champions League. Oh, that's right. They were in the Champions League this year. Yep. Yes. So they, they're very familiar with the city of Rome. Um, has not been kind to them. And, um, and and Roma took care of business. And that brings us to the draw. So let's talk a little bit about the, the round of 16 draw. A very interesting one for Roma because – you know, there were the, the sides you really wanted to avoid were Liverpool and Leverkusen, first and foremost, in my opinion. And they did avoid them there. Um, but they do get a pretty tough matchup against Brighton. Kind of the darlings of England last year. They were overshadowed a little bit because Newcastle rebounded so well, you know, kind of back to their not former glories, but they're back in the Champions League this year. And Brighton kind of, you know, flew under the radar a little bit and, um, and finished sixth. But first time in the Europa League, first time finishing that high in the the Premier League, and it's under the, the you know, the leadership of um, Deserbi, former Sassuolo mm-hmm. manager, very familiar to Italian football fans. Uh, it's got a very nice attacking side. They, they sell off talent a lot, but they, they seem to replenish pretty well. Not as strong this year in the league, but still a very uh, interesting side and should create um, a very difficult tactical match for, for De Rossi and Roma, I think. Yeah, I think the first point I want to make is you look at this draw, uh, you know, round of 16, 16 teams left. It's just uh, strong teams left only. There are no bad teams left. So, I, I mean, could you maybe want to get a Freiburg uh, instead, uh, you know, as or a Marseille or Villarreal who are both maybe having somewhat down years? I think maybe I, you could make a case for maybe wanting one of those teams. I, You know, I don't really buy that because I think any team you get would have been pretty difficult, but I think Roma's got to kind of be happy with this. You mentioned it. Brighton's kind of had a down year. They haven't really brought anybody in after the success they started out with. Um, You know, they're in seventh place. They're neck and neck with West Ham and Wolves and Newcastle. And now I guess Chelsea, Um, but you know, 
nothing particularly special. Their offense is really good, but their defense is just as poor. Um, I think they have something like 49 goals scored, 42 conceded. So it's, you know, right there. And um, I think Roma's probably going to be okay with this draw. I think this this style of football will probably suit them because it's not too dissimilar to how a, a Feyenoord kind of played, right? Or, or maybe some of the other teams in the group, right? Prague, I think, played that kind of wide open game. And Roma has the individual talent to compete and you know you're gonna have to run into good teams eventually so i'm not really upset about this draw if i'm roma at this point yeah i, I agree you're, you're look you're gonna have to be good teams to get to the final win the final sometimes you get lucky you avoid you know some of the better teams they end up playing each other knock each other off and you you you, you can save yourself a round or so but you're gonna eventually run into them uh you know brighton is one of the quality sides in the draw being a good team from the premier league but look you couldn't draw Atalanta because they're from your own league you you definitely didn't want liverpool or leverkusen um, you know, via Real has been turning things around a little bit in, in La Liga. They're they're always tough in Europe. Like you said, Slavia Prague, that's the team from your group. I don't know if you want to face them again. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Then it's Rangers and West Ham. So, I mean, probably outside of, of Brighton, maybe you, you would take the, the rematch against Slavia or, or Rangers or something like that. But I think overall could have been could have been a worse draw, could have been a better draw. Um, and it'll be interesting because, you know, if Mourinho is still managing Roma – you're probably looking at a Brighton side with about 75% possession, just coming at Roma, coming at Roma and, and Roma trying to hand the counter, win a one nothing match or something somewhere and, and hold out against a, an attacking side in Brighton. Now I think you're going to see a pretty, I don't think that OC will put Roma in a position where they're going to get caught out by a side that can really attack, but there will be opportunities for Roma against Brighton to, to hit them because they do give up goals in the premier league. I mean, we saw them give up four against Lutton town a couple weeks ago and lose four, nothing. So they, they certainly can be be had on on yep. the day if you capitalize on your chances. Um, they've been dealing with some injuries of their own. I mean, this match is just over a week away because the first leg in Rome is on uh, the seventh, which is next week already. Um, and I don't know if they're gonna, who they're going to have back, who they're not going to have back. But you know, they sold off a lot of talent. They sold off yep. McAllister. They sold off Caicedo. They sold mm-hmm. off um, the other one that's doing really well in Chelsea this year. Um, is it Ferguson? No, not Ferguson. Who'd they sell off to, to Chelsea? I know they sold someone else too that's doing pretty well at Chelsea, but they, they've got a few guys who they've sold the past few years that, yeah. you know, I think last year's incarnation of Brighton's a little scarier than this one with McAllister and players like that. I, I think mm-hmm. Roma can take care of business in this one. They just have to play smart and they have to take take their chances when they get them, I think. Yeah, you need more of what you saw today, right? You need a game where Dybala makes the difference. You need a game where Pellegrini makes the difference. You need a game where Lukaku makes the difference. And they all can. Um, so, yeah. you know, you, I I think, you know, if you wanted to compare, I'm trying to compare Brighton to like a, a Serie A team to really bring it home. I mean, like they're in the place of like Napoli. <laughs> Maybe yeah. they're, yeah. they are kind of like that, you know. They can score a mid, bit more, but yeah. Mid-table, like that's, that's um, you know. They they didn't quite have that run, so I, I don't know. I, listen, it's it's not a bad draw. It's not a great draw. I mean, but I would make Roma the favorites. I think yeah. just um, based on experience, based on team form, based on individual talent. I, I think Roma has the edge in all three. Yeah, and I mean the the, the closest thing I could think of is the the old Deserbi Sassuolo side that play this style because there, there's not a lot of Italian sides that play. No. I think as much of this style, you know, he, he is a, you know, he studied under the Pep Guardiola style of play. He went there and said, actually De Rossi and him both went and 
and had like a meeting, you know, with Guardiola when he had like one of those things where he got a bunch of coaches together and coaches in training and stuff. So, you know, you see shades of that with De Rossi as well. He doesn't have the, the roster to, to play in and it's not built for that yet. And I think, you know, we're starting to see glimpses of him wanting to press and, and you know, press teams into mistakes and be a little more offensive. Um, but that's what Deserby does. And, and Deserby, he, he's been, you know, good for him. He's linked with the Barcelona job at, at the end of the season. So uh, his star has really grown from Sassuolo. He went to Shakhtar. Then he, you know, ended up here at Brighton after the Ukraine war. Um, you know, he, he resigned from that Shakhtar job and then now might find himself managing Barcelona after the season. So this will be a real test for De Rossi, I think, from a, from a coaching standpoint. You know, the only match he's lost so far was to Inzag. He was an experienced manager at this point and um, definitely has a better roster than he has. Now this is kind of, you know, roster-wise, I, I don't know if Brighton's better. They have a lot of young talents, but um, they, they've been playing this style now for a couple of years, which gives them, I think, that leg up. Yeah, no, no question. And yeah, I mean, just from an actual odd standpoint, I pulled them up so I could yeah, talk intelligently. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, they're pretty neck and neck. Uh, I think Roma are favorites in the first leg at home. Brighton are favorites to actually advance. So, um you know, the books are giving them a little bit of that edge. I, I think that's maybe some name recognition, but I mean, you're right, coach. Does, does coaching here make the difference or does player skill and, and player experience make the difference? That's kind of what it's going to come down to for me. Yeah. And, and just looking down Brighton's roster, a lot of talent, like I said, but a lot of youth as well, right? There's mm-hmm. not a lot of uh, experience anymore on this roster like you had maybe with the McAllister who won the World Cup and, and players like that. I mean, I'm looking down. Their most experienced players that are, are really important players for them are uh, Karumi Toma, the, the Japanese player who's 26. He's having a really good year. Um, you know, you have players like James Milner, but he doesn't play as much. He's 38. And, and Danny Welbeck, who's 33. But then you look at some of their important players. You know, Evan Ferguson, 19. Jao Pedro, 22. Um Facundo Bonanote, 19, the, the, the Argentine, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a lot of youth like that. And then, you know, some of their experiences at center back with Lewis Dunk and, and, um, you know, Lalana is another player who gets some run and Sully March is 29, but I think in terms of mix of experience and, and, you know, still in their prime, Roma has the advantage there, you know, player like Dybala, players like, uh, Paredes and Pellegrini and things like that. So that'll be the interesting, you know, aspect too, is this is their first knockout round, uh, game, you know, they they played the group stage. They won what was probably considered the group of death. It was AEK Athens, Marseille, Ajax, and themselves. They lost in Athens to open the group and end up winning that group, which was uh, impressive because you know when they played that first match and I saw them lose in Athens, like oh maybe they're you know not as good as as we thought they would be, and then they end up winning the group. But first knockout stage match for a lot of these players, you know, you know we'll see if the bright lights of the Olympico gets them a little bit. You know, the Roma crowd will I'm sure be pretty hostile toward them to in the first leg, and I think. What's very important for Roma in this one, because so often in Mourinho, we saw them play the second leg at home and they would just kind of make sure they didn't lose on the road. And then they would find the result, the Olympico and, and it was kind of similar last week. You know, they, they got the job done in penalties at home. I think they have to win the first match at home. I think would go a long way for Roma. Definitely. And um, just to kind of wrap on the Europa League, looking at the overall, you know, odds, favors to win the whole thing. Liverpool right now, plus 160. Pretty big favorites considering that Leverkusen second at plus 330. And then that's a big drop off to Milan, followed by Brighton, West Ham, Atalanta, and Roma are our joint sixth favorites. So Roma considered somewhere in the middle of the pack. Um, and in terms of teams that are, you know, somewhat reasonable odds of winning this thing, Brighton, Roma is the the, the biggest, um, you know, first 
round of 16 match in terms of teams that they think have a chance to win this. Most of the teams that are competing against the Liverpools and Leverkusen of the world do not have great odds to, to win overall. Yeah, um, definitely interesting. Uh, unfortunate for them that they have to face each other, right? Um, I think if you're going to take a flyer on somebody, West Ham's not bad just because of the path that they have in that first group. Um, certainly Liverpool's competition to lose. Um, but man, the, whoever gets out of this group, uh, you know, who gets out of this tie, they're going to be setting themselves up as well with a, a real, real shot to win this thing. I think it's probably between, you know, the two English clubs, the two Italian clubs here in Leverkusen. I, I'd be really shocked if somebody else won this competition. Yeah. I mean, ideally for, you know, if Roma gets through, if you're a fan of one of these other teams that gets through, you almost want Liverpool and Leverkusen to be on the same side of the draw and you'd be on yep. the opposite side, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I do think Liverpool and Leverkusen on paper are the best teams. But I think after that, Milan, Roma, Atalanta, you know, yep. Brighton or West Ham, they, they all have a shot, I think, in the knockout yep. competition. The, the the question I think that has to be asked for Liverpool and Leverkusen is what do you prioritize from here on out? Um, you know, yes. Liverpool, I think, listen, it's the last year of Klopp. They're going to want to win every competition that they're in, but they have a real shot at winning the Premier League. So um, to them, I would imagine, or to their fans, and, and we know some of them, um, you know, winning the Premier League is probably a little more prestigious than this. Leverkusen, I, I really don't know where their head's at, right? They have a chance to win the yeah. Bundesliga for the first time in how long um so you know but by by that same token you have a chance to win this competition you're one of the favorites to do it so um can you manage both or do you prioritize one over the other i think that that's the interesting storyline for me because every team outside of those two every other team i think is going to give their all to try to win this competition um yeah there's there's five or six that can there's five or six that probably can't just going to be uh interesting to see yeah, and Leverkusen has built themselves an eight-point advantage now. So they, who knows if they get far enough that they might have the, the Bundesliga locked up if Bayern continues in this way, then they can really focus on this. And uh, I think if they run into Roma, they're really going to want it after last season because Roma knocked them out in, the, I believe it was the semifinals. So uh, that'll be an interesting aspect too if they find each other again. Uh, funny thing with this Europa League, it's a lot of familiar faces from last year um, that they could run into at some point. So yeah, it'll be an interesting competition. So still a week away. We'll have more coverage on CDT when you know it gets closer. First, we have to cover the Monza match. But Nick, anything you want to leave us? Any thoughts on De Rossi, Roma, the Europa League before we uh, before we head out here? Yeah, no, like I said, not rooting for you guys by any stretch of the imagination. But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't impressed with the turn your season has t- taken. Um, you know, I, I think as a fan of Serie A, as a fan of Italian national team, it's it's nice to see De Rossi off to a good start. We've seen a mixed bag with, um, you know, like let's, let's even call them 2006 to 2010 players turned coaches. Um, you know, we, we've definitely seen a mixed bag, so good to see somebody thriving, even though it's at Lazio's expense. Um, but you know, listen, you guys have to be happy. It's been, it's been fun to watch just, um, trying to be as unbiased as I possibly can. I hope they do well in Europe because I hope every Italian team does well in Europe. But yeah, yeah, I don't know what much more you can ask for at this point in time. I think he's certainly, if he can finish in that top six, which I expect him to do, certainly earned himself a chance to coach his team next year. Uh, I don't know if Roma fans share that sentiment or not, but be interested to see if if you give him a little bit more time, you give him another year, you give him 
maybe some money to spend come the summer. Um, you know, could could be fun to be a Roma fan again. I can't imagine it's been all that fun for you guys the past few years, even with Mourinho. So I certainly empathize there. Yeah, yeah. It, I think, you know, he's getting closer and closer to making it almost that the ownership has no choice but to bring him back next year. I know this was kind of on, like, see how the rest of the year goes, and then then we'll figure things out for next year. Because I, I, I think they were very unsure what they were going to get out of him and being so inexperienced. But, yeah, he's, he's doing an outstanding job. And if he continues on this trajectory, even if he loses a couple matches, they miss out on top four. I mean, it's going to be hard not to, to bring him back, depending on how the rest of the season and Europa League go. Uh, Nick, thanks for hopping on kind of last minute. Tell everybody where they can find you, what, what you're doing, and what you got going on. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you having me as always. Uh, at Nick Diani on Twitter, at Kicks Picks Pod, Kicks and Picks Podcast. We are breaking down Serie A and Premier League primarily. Uh, we talk about all the, the key happenings in the sport, but uh, trying to look at everything from a betting angle. So we are breaking down the key matchups, giving out the odds, giving out our picks. We have more winners than we have losers, even though we got off to a pretty rough start this year. But coming into our own 2024, we have a whole lot of fun. So um, certainly would love a listen there. Follow, you know, if anybody has betting questions, we're always open for discussion. Love to spread the word. Love to try to help out. And yeah, that's where you can find me. Yeah, so thanks again for coming on, Nick. And of course, stick with the site for all of our coverage with the Monza match coming up. And of course, Europa League as well next week. Thanks again for listening, guys.